Welcome to Calvary Chapel Living Hope. Thanks for joining us. We pray that God will transform your life through today's message. Santa Monica, California called Muscle Beach. And at Muscle Beach, they've got this big platform area where guys have all these weights and they're working out. It's kind of entertain, entertaining because people who are good looking, you know, who really can lift weights, and they're strong, and they do lift those weights, it's fun to watch them lift the weights. It's just entertaining to do so. Well, Kevin Leverich decided he would have some fun on Muscle Beach. He's a young guy, very strong, a weightlifter, and quite, could lift quite heavily uh, the weights that he does. But he went and got himself decked out in Hollywood with Hollywood um, uh, makeup, a whole mask that he put on, and decked himself out to be an 84-year-old guy. Okay, so now he looks like an 84-year-old guy, but he's really a really strong young 20s guy, and he goes on to Muscle Beach. And uh, he's joking with the guys, and they're all laughing at this 84-year-old guy because he's definitely out of place there on this pier area. And um, he says to one guy, oh, what kind of supplements do you take? I take prune juice. You know, just it's, it's a, kind of a fun and entertaining video. You can find it at, um, by just YouTubing or searching for Muscle Beach Old Man. You'll find it that way. Not, not right now, but uh, maybe later on you could do that. But here's the fun thing. What he did was he went over and he saw these guys lifting weights and kind of competing with each other. And he said, hey, uh, can I have a try there? And they're laughing at him. Say, oh, sure, old man. Go ahead. Give it a try. He goes over there and picks up these dead weights and throws them up over his head and lifts them up and then drops them. And everybody's going, whoa. And they're just so surprised that he could do this. He goes over to some other weights over there and he, he lifts those weights. And <laughs> now a crowd is forming just because this is very entertaining to see this old guy doing all of these things and they're laughing and, and these everybody's just amazed that he goes around he's be able to do all this at one point he does a complete backflip he's standing and he jumps up and does a backflip 84 year old guy apparently doing this backflip everybody's entertained by this but for Kevin Leverich this was just another workout another workout day Today, I want to talk to you about a workout, a spiritual workout that we all need to be engaged in in our lives. And the reason I use workout is because it comes directly from our passage in Philippians chapter um, 2, verses 12 and 13. If you look at those words there, it says uh, in the scriptures, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There you go, workout. The words workout is right there. So I think what we're going to see here in the passage is a spiritual workout, what a spiritual workout looks like. I'm going to tell you what this passage says. I'm going to tell you what it doesn't say. And I'm going to give you several principles that are embedded right in the passage itself that can apply to our spiritual workout. And my goal is that you'll be more motivated this next year to engage in more spiritual exercise in your life. I think that's what Paul is telling us to do here. And that's why he uses the word workout in this passage. Well, let me read the whole passage to you, starting um, at the beginning there. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, let's look at that. Go to... um, Right at the beginning there, you see the word therefore? Now that's going to take us back in the passage. Now if you remember in the passage, back in verses 2, 3, and 4, he was saying don't be selfish, think about other people as more important than yourself. And then he says, have this same mind in you which is in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5. 
So if you look back in your scriptures to verse 5, that's where the therefore is going. Because after verse 5, it's illustrating how Christ was sacrificing himself, he was humble, he was obedient. All these things that exemplify Christ, but the, the key idea there is, have the same mind in you which is in Christ Jesus, therefore... So pop a couple more slides there, Greg. So the word therefore is our first word, and I'm going to suggest that the first principle that we want to engage in, in our Christian workout, is to find a good trainer. Because that's what the passage is saying. Go back and look at Christ. He's the example. He's the motivator. He's the one there. So if you're going to engage in a workout, you need to have a good trainer. A trainer is someone who comes along and, and uh, helps you do your workout. And of course, Jesus would be the greatest trainer that we could have. I was thinking this week, why would someone want a trainer? Why do people get trainers anyway? So what I did was I went and interviewed Deborah Wente, who is a professional trainer. That's her job as she trains people athletically uh, to deal with muscles and so on. And I asked her this question, why would someone want to hire a trainer? Why would one, someone get a trainer? She said there's two reasons. One is, first of all, because the work is uncomfortable that you have to do. It's difficult. And having somebody come alongside you and guide you and hold you accountable helps you to advance so that you can get stronger. That's the first reason. I'm thinking, wow, that's a lot like the Christian life. I mean, there's a lot of work we do in the Christian life that's uncomfortable. As we start working on ourselves and to get spiritually fit, uh, we need a trainer who's going to help us deal with the discomfort that often takes place. The second reason, she said, is because the trainer comes with expertise to help you in your weakness. Because sometimes you don't know which muscles are the weak ones that need to be trained. And so uh, she, the, uh, she helps people know, this is how you train in this particular area. And I would suggest in our Christian lives, we find ourselves perplexed sometimes. We find ourselves in difficult situations where we don't exactly know how to handle the situation. And we need a trainer. In this case, the reference that Paul is making is back there to Jesus Christ being our trainer. Why do we need Jesus Christ to be our trainer? Because we don't know what to do sometimes in our lives. If you're having trouble with anxiety in your life, then you need the spiritual strength to deal with that. So go back to the, to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 25 to 33, and it talks about dealing with anxiety in your life. So that when the anxiety situations come, you have worked out that in your life. You've done the workout that has to do with anxiety, and it continues to work out in your life. If you're having trouble with anger, well, you can also look in the Sermon on the Mount, or, or of course the antidote for anger is love, building up love in your life, and Jesus has a lot to say about that. Jesus' whole commitment to us is, is that we can have joy, a joy that's complete. All of that requires that we understand how to do the workout and how to, to work that out into our lives. So having the spiritual trainer is very important. And in this passage, Paul is directing our attention back to verse 5, where Jesus is the one that we're focused on. He's the one we're thinking about. He's the one that we're concerned about. He is our, he's the one who helps us. So that in Hebrews 12 it says, when you run the race, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. See, he's the trainer. It's disheartening when we see people today trying to get spiritual training in their lives or trying to fortify their spirit by looking at self-help books or by other people who are alive now or, or people who are living in the past to find their ideas to help them get strong spiritually. That's sad because Jesus is the best trainer. 
He's the one who made us. He created us. He understands us. He knows us. And he's written the, the uh, owner's manual to help us know how to move forward. So going to Jesus Christ as the trainer is the key element here. Find a good trainer. Point number one. Notice it says, my beloved... And we'll talk about that in just a moment because he's writing to Christians. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. You're obeying not just when I'm looking at you, but when I'm not looking at you. There takes quite a bit of motivation, internal motivation, for a person to respond to life's challenges with that internal motivation. And so let's go to that next slide where it says, I would suggest this principle number two, if you're going to have a good spiritual workout, is to check your motivation. Notice it says obey, not just when someone's looking at you. If you're doing your spiritual workout so other people can see what you're doing, well, that's one thing. But if you're doing your spiritual workout in private because you know it's the right thing to do, that's a whole different thing. It's when we do what we do when no one is watching that really determines our character, it's been said. Or integrity. Integrity is having the internal strength to do what's right even when no one's watching you. It's that integrity that we're looking for, we're building, and we're strengthening ourselves because we know that we need this. It's not so that other people, we can impress other people. It's not because we're getting a reward or someone's paying us to do it. We're doing this because there's something going on inside of our hearts. And we know we need this, and so we're working on it. I often work with parents, and as I do... There are some children who um, are sneaky or lie or they steal, and parents are trying to help them with this problem. The problem is that the child doesn't have the internal strength to match the challenges that are out there. That's not just when it comes to dishonesty, but some children have anger problems because they don't have the strength, internal strength, to match the challenges that are out there. And so we engage in a lot of internal exercises with children to help them develop what they need inside to have that internal strength so that they can be internally motivated to do what's right even when no one's watching. I think we need to check our motivation here. I think we need to, to do what, exactly that. We need to ask ourselves, why am I doing what I do? Why do I come to church? Why do I read my Bible? Why do I join a small group? Why do I serve the Lord and pray and, and all these things that are part of the spiritual exercise or workout that we do? We do that because we know it's the right thing to do, not because we're trying to impress someone. We're doing it because it's, it's uh, what we know God wants us to do, and we're moving forward with that internal motivation. Not just when people are watching, but we're obeying. Notice the word obey there. Obeying even when Paul's not around, even when he can't see what they're doing in their absence. So check the motivation. That's number two. The third one here is this word, work out your salvation, which we already saw in the passage. Now, this is the key verb in the whole passage. This is, these are the words that you go away from, work out your salvation. Katergodzomai is the Greek word there, and we're going to look at that word in just a moment. But the idea of working out your salvation becomes this activity that we do, and I suggest this is where we do the work. It is hard work. It's challenging for us to do that. Now, there are some who look at this passage and they say, oh, this is, you have to work for your salvation. Most of the people that you know believe that's how you get to heaven, is that you work for your salvation. If you ask someone, uh, when you die, uh, are you going to go to heaven? And a person responds to you and says, well, I'm trying. 
then what they're saying is, I'm relying on my works to try to earn my way to heaven. Or maybe you say to someone, uh, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And someone says, well, definitely not, considering all the things I've done. That person is making the mistake of thinking that their works are the basis upon which God decides how one gets to heaven. But God has made it very clear that that isn't what this verse means. Uh, he says, work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we're saved by grace, that's the grace of God, through faith, that's our trusting in the Lord, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's very clear in Ephesians how one gets to be saved in the first place. This is a passage not talking about how you get saved. If you're listening to this or you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're, uh, you want to do that. You want to trust in God's grace and you want to have faith in Him to become saved. But once you get saved, then you want to pay attention to this verse. Because once you get saved, then you work it out into the various areas of your life. You work it out into your finances and into your uh, private life, into your thought life, into your emotions. You work it out into your decision-making and your relationships with people. You work your salvation into those things. And that is work. It's challenging to uh, get all of that together and try to understand how do I take the salvation that God has given me and work it out into these various areas. By the way, it's clear that he's not talking about becoming saved because in the passage, notice, he says, my beloved, therefore my beloved. He's talking to believers, and in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says this book is all written to the saints, people who are already Christians. So he's not telling people how to get saved as he does in the book of Romans, for example. He's talking here about how a person works out their salvation into every area of their life. And it is work. It's a lot of work to do the workout necessary in order to accomplish that task. The Greek word, katagardzomai, is a word that um, means to mine something out. And you can imagine the work required to dig something out of a mine in order to have that for yourself. I was working with a contractor last year, earlier in the year. I was, uh, he was going to do some work for me. And he did some of the prep work and drawing up some plans. And then, um, then he says, oh, and by the way, I won't be here for the summer. I'm saying, what do you mean you won't be here for the summer? That's when contractors work. Where are you going for the summer? He says, I'm going to Alaska because I mine for gold in Alaska. I was intrigued. I've heard about that kind of thing, but I never knew anybody who actually did it. So I said to him, okay, how do you mine for gold in Alaska? You've got to tell me about this. You know, do you have a pickaxe? What do you do? He says, no, it's all done underwater. He says, uh, we can't go there until it thaws, and then we can go with our wetsuits underwater. And he spends hours underwater with this vacuum cleaner thing that he vacuums all the, the silt or whatever you call that dirt underwater. It comes up, goes, and it's sifted, and then it's, the remainder is put out into the uh, water again. And so my question to him was, do you make any money? at this. I mean, going the whole summer, are you going to make any money? And he says, well, it goes like this. He says, most days we don't make any money at all. We're just vacuuming, and, and, and that's what we do. And, and then every once in a while, we hit a vein. And when we hit this vein of gold, then we make a lot of money. And I'm thinking, that is so much like the Christian life, because a lot of times we're going along doing what we know we need to do. We're memorizing scripture, we're, we're working on our hearts, we're doing what we know is right, and we, we don't, just don't feel like we're getting anywhere. Then every once in a while, we see all the benefit of that, we go, whoa, this is like gold that I'm getting in my life. 
Because then we say, yes, I really need that. This is just what I needed to face the challenge that we didn't know was coming. But now we face the challenge and we go, whoa, I have the spiritual resources to do that. That's why the workout is so important. We never know what we're going to face. This workout that we do is very important because it mines out the riches that God wants us to experience in our own lives. Now, some of you young people, uh, you have a mine. Your parents have this kind of spiritual legacy that they're passing on to you. And so you inherit a mine, so to speak. You don't inherit salvation. But you, if you had a mine you inherited, you'd have to receive it, number one. But then you'd have to go and dig in it. You can't... Um, you can't, someone else isn't going to do that for you spiritually. You have to do it your, for yourself. I would really wish that I could pay someone to exercise for me. If I could pay someone to exercise for me, I'd do that. Boy, it'd save me a lot of time because I don't like exercising. I like the benefits I get from exercising, but I do not like, if I could pay someone to do it, I would do that. No, I have to do it myself physically, and I have to do it myself spiritually, because God wants to do that extra work. He's, we're mining out the resources, the riches that God wants us to experience in our lives. Work out your salvation. That's what he's saying. Do the work. It's not going to be easy. I like the statement that God doesn't always hide his cookies on the bottom shelf. Sometimes we have to reach for them. And there are sometimes you have to do a little work in your Christian life in order to experience the great and vast blessings that God has for us. Well, don't miss in the phrase there, work out, it says your own. And so my next point there that I, I wanted to bring out in this passage is that it's personal. Your own salvation. Work out your own salvation because what God is doing in your life may be different than what God is doing in your spouse or your child's life. That's why it's so fun in a family to ask a child, hey, what's God teaching you? What are you learning? Because as they speak, they go, oh, wow, that's great. That inspires me to work on the things I need to work on in my life. Each one of us are in our own pilgrimage before the Lord. I go to the gym and work out. I'll never have the muscles that some of those people that work out there. But if I say, oh, I'd really like to have those muscles that that guy has, I'm therefore going to lift those weights that he's lifting. Yeah, yeah that would last me about five minutes uh, on, the, on the floor and about ten minutes under the defibrillator and about two weeks in the hospital. Okay, I, I have to do my own work. It's the, the work that God wants to do in my heart uh, is my spiritual exercise. I can't compare myself to someone else. It's about something that God wants to do in my life. I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but I know that we come here together because we share the same values. And even though God is working in your life different than his life or my life, we come together and we enjoy that together. It's like we could call this the Calvary Chapel gym because we're getting exercise spiritually and we're enjoying that and we're all applying it in different ways. So when you come here and you share your story, I'm encouraged by what God is doing in your life. And when I share my story, you're encouraged by my story. And it's, it's that mutual sharing that we do that makes our personal experience your own salvation. It makes it something that we can pass on and enjoy with other people. But don't lose the fact that God is doing a special work in your heart. That means you don't compare yourself to anybody else. You're not competing with anybody else. You're focusing in on your relationship with the Lord and allowing God to build you up and strengthen you in this particular area. Well, you ready for the next few verses here? The next verses say, with fear and trembling. And you go, what in the world do those mean? Those words mean. And I would suggest that what Paul is saying is here, take it seriously. 
Take it ser- This is really important. With fear and trembling. I know that some of you have had cancer, and when you do have cancer, it changes you. You live life differently. You don't live the same way. You change the way you eat. You change the activities that you are engaged in sometimes. You just handle life differently because this is serious. You recognize the seriousness of cancer and you say, I don't want to do that again. And so you make certain choices about your life to not have to go through all of that work. The chemotherapy, the, the surgery, or whatever had to be done. I don't want to do that again, you say. And so I'm taking life seriously. It does something to you. You start thinking about life. It's not so casual anymore. Now I'm making, being very careful about what I do. There's a much bigger cancer in our world today than, than the cancer I'm talking about. It's this sin that exists. I'm not sure we understand or realize the power that sin has to damage us. That it corrupts us. That we have a struggle with sin in our lives. It's terrible. And that's why we do the spiritual workouts that we do. Because as we're doing that workout, then we're able to prepare ourselves to face the battles or the challenges. The scriptures talk about our life, our Christian life, as a, as a battle. That we're fighting the good fight. That we're running the race. It's not just passive thing, we're sitting back there and drinking our Coke, you know. This is something we're actually doing that's a, a battle, it's a fight. The scriptures talk about three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil that we need to be prepared to address. The world is this worldliness that's out there that we have to be thinking about because it fills all the entertainment, it fills all the conversations, it fills the advertising, and it's bombarding us. We need to have a spiritual plan to address that. That's why we're working out. The flesh has to do with this stuff inside of us where we often desire to do the wrong thing. And so the spiritual workouts we do help us to deal with that. The devil, there's spiritual battles that exist with Satan and his demons that we need to be ready to fight. This is serious business, folks. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I want you to work out your salvation, but I want you to do it with all of the seriousness that you can imagine. In the Bible, we have the term, the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we don't exactly know what to do with that term because, well, we don't want to think about God as someone we're afraid of. We want to think about him as our heavenly father that we can have a close relationship with, which I think that's what Jesus introduced us to, so we can come to Jesus as our father. But there is a sense of his awesomeness, this awesome respect that we have, his holiness, that makes us see how serious this relationship with God really is. This idea with fear and trembling has to do with, let's take this seriously. Let's not take this casually. Let's dig in and do what we need to do in order to be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually fit. Let's do the workout that's necessary. Well, this last one here, for it is God who works in you in verse 13. And notice I've I've given it. I said, take your power supplements. Maybe that's a stretch. But the idea here is that uh, if you're working out, and you're trying to, to exercise and, and build bulk in your body, then you're probably taking some supplements, like some extra protein and so on, when you're, um, when you're working out. In the same way, this passage is a shift. Now, between verse 12 and verse 13, there's a big shift. Because up to verse 13, you might be saying, wow, this sounds pretty humanistic to me. I'm going to work out my own salvation. This is all about me doing what I need to do. This is about me exercising so that I can have the wealth that God wants me to have. Isn't this a pretty um, 
humanistic, just to, to think that I can do all this on my own? Well, that's why verse 13 is there. Because it says, therefore, it is God who works in you. You see, it's not just about us doing what we want to do to be spiritually healthy, but it's a recognition that God has worked in us. And we realize God has worked in us, then we can work it out into our lives. That's what the passage is about. It's not working for your salvation. It's recognizing that God has already done a work in you, and our job is then to take that work and move it out into the rest of our lives, into every area of our lives. And so God is at work in us. The word work there, used later in the same verse, is the word energeo in Greek. It's where we get our word energy from. That's why I was thinking, take your power supplements here. In other words, take the, your energy pill or whatever you're going to do. It's going to help you do the work. You're working hard, but you're relying on something outside of yourself in order to do that. It's the energy that God provides that allows you to be able to accelerate your spiritual growth, is the point that he's making here. Occasionally, I find myself landing in an airport and having to run from one terminal to another terminal to catch a plane. I hate running through airports to get from one terminal to the other terminal, but I also hate missing my plane, so I do it. I run to get from one airport, one terminal to the other terminal. As I'm running through the airport, when I get to that moving walkway, I'm really grateful. I don't stop and sit there on the moving walkway. I keep running, and now I'm going really fast while I'm going through the airport because I've got this moving walkway. That's the picture I have in my mind when I think about what God wants to do in my life. That he's doing the work, he's doing the energy. I'm doing everything I can, but I'm also relying on the power of God to accelerate my development in my Christian life. I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to move forward in a powerful way. Another picture I saw was that it's like running sprint-like in your Christian life, but breathing through your nose. As if you're relying on the power of God, but you're moving as fast as you can. There's this idea of doing the workout under God's direction, His energy that empowers us, that gives us great peace. It gives us the ability to not feel like we're, we're just being so busy all the time. It's this recognition that it's God's grace that allows us to do what we're doing, so I don't have to have that pressure on me, oh, i got to do this, i got to do this. Well, I want to feel the obligation to work out, but I don't have to be so concerned about the results. It's God who's doing this work in me that's so powerful. And lastly, it says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The goal here is the pleasure of God. That's what I'm doing. I'm working hard, and as we're doing our spiritual workout, we're doing it for the pleasure of God. And the idea here is that when we work for the pleasure of God, there's this spiritual vitality that we enjoy in our lives. Now, vitality is that ability to uh, enjoy life instead of being overwhelmed with stress in our lives. Vitality is the ability to have the peace that we need, even in the midst of the struggle, the chaos of life. This is a beautiful idea to understand that, that God wants us to have vitality in our lives, and it comes through our working out things. It just doesn't pop into our lives. Sometimes we have to work a little bit harder. We have to do the extra work of digging into a particular area of our hearts in order to experience the vitality God wants us to enjoy. So let me read the whole passage again and see if uh, all of this makes sense and you can take away from it what God is saying to you. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Six ideas that I put down there for in this passage that I think we take away. The, the key to spiritual vitality from Philippians 2, 12, and 13 are these. One, find a good trainer, of course, Jesus Christ himself. Number two, check your motivations. So you're not doing it just to please others when they're watching you, but you're doing it internally because you know what's the right thing to do. Number three, do the work. It's going to be hard work. You just need to realize that. That's what it means to exercise spiritually. Fourthly, make it personal. Don't compare or compete with anybody else. God is doing a work in you. It's your salvation that he's working on. Number five, take it seriously with fear and trembling. And lastly, take your power supplements or rely on the energy that God provides in order to move you forward in your life. I'm eager to see what God's going to do in your life and my life this year. I'm grateful to be part of the fitness club here with you folks. And, because I get to see what you're doing. And I get to hear about God's grace in your life and what God's doing. Let's continue on. See what God can do in our lives this year. Amen? Thank you for listening to today's sermon. You can learn more about Calvary Chapel Living Hope at TakeJesusHome.com.